Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> I want to talk a, a bit about faith tonight and uh, we'll just uh, <clears throat> pick up a story here in uh, Matthew chapter 22 and in verse 23. <clears throat> the same day came to him the Sadducees which say that there is no resurrection. Um, this was a, uh, just to divert here for a moment, uh, the Sadducees were a, uh, a religious group of people who didn't believe uh, that there was uh, life after death as far as uh, being raised up to meet the Lord in the air and the, the sorts of things that the Bible talks about. And uh, of course Jesus came to show the way to all of that and they, uh, they didn't believe that and uh, argued about it. And of course there's uh, many people, many religious people today that are still basically Sadducees. Uh, we find a group like the Christadelphians and so on that want to talk about uh, uh, this uh, earth continuing on forevermore and uh, um, they don't believe in the, uh, the resurrection message the same way that the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has certainly explained it to us and uh, is going to show us. And so in a sense they're really Sadducees of today that have never stopped. And uh, we, we go on anyway. This is a particular story about this group here in verse 24. And saying unto him, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children... His brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased and having no issue or no children, left his wife unto his brother. Now this was part of the Old Testament law, was that uh, if there was a, a brother there who wasn't married, that he would then marry the, uh, uh, the widow. Uh, if there were no children, uh, that, uh, uh, that the name of the family could be continued on. In verse 26, because they've created this theoretical story here. Likewise, the second also and the third unto the seventh. They all did the same thing. And last of all, the woman died also. She was sick of all these uh, brothers. <laughs> Verse 28, Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> it went both ways. <clears throat> and uh, we just see here that uh, they'd sort of invented this question with regard to the resurrection to try and trick Jesus out because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they'd got hold of the verses or a verse in the Bible in the Old Testament and they thought, well, we've got our whole belief is worked out on our misinterpretation of this verse. Well, they didn't see it that way, but that's the way it was. And they presented this to Jesus to say, well, if you can't come up with an answer on this, well, then we'll know you're wrong. And they were going to floor him in front of everybody to show that there was no resurrection once and for all, that they were right and, uh, and their group uh, was right and everybody should follow the Sadducees. Well, <clears throat> the shame it didn't work out that way. In verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. And so we find here that uh, Jesus really put them in their place on two scores. He said, you don't know the scriptures, although you think you do, and you don't know the power of God. And uh, basically, uh, uh, one thing was very much lacking, is that they, uh, they really could not see the picture as far as God was concerned at all. They really uh, um, were, they had trouble with, with believing. They had trouble with simple uh, matters of faith. And I suppose that uh, many people get caught up with the idea that if you study enough of, uh, of the scriptures, 
that eventually you become some sort of religious uh, knowledgeable. Uh, you become uh, uh, perhaps a little bit expert in uh, the things of God because you study and study and study. And yet what had happened here was that their study really had got them nowhere. Their problem wasn't the lack of study. Their problem was the lack of faith. They didn't believe the things that were being said. And so uh, they, uh, no matter which way they sort of tackled it, they just couldn't come up with it. And uh, unfortunately, there's so many people which get caught up with this same thing today where they believe that uh, what they've got to do is present a, uh, an argument that appeals to the head and that's going to get them into the kingdom of heaven. We find uh, that uh, people set up uh, theological colleges and seminaries and places like this where they send men who uh, maybe uh, might have a little ounce of belief before they go in there, but when they come out, they make sure it's all gone. And uh, they study and study and study, and in the end, they come out with a whole lot of head knowledge, but no faith, as simply as that. And they, uh, they do the same sort of thing as what these Sadducees have done. They build a whole argument around a, a misunderstanding of the Scriptures. And perhaps it's just a similar example today. We find people come up to us and they say, oh, you don't have to speak in tongues. What about the thief on the cross? He didn't speak in tongues and uh, they want to sort of uh, build everything on that argument. When you tell them that the Holy Spirit wasn't given at that stage because the Bible says so and therefore he couldn't speak in tongues because the gift hadn't been given of the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden they go quiet and, uh, and then they perhaps want to move across onto, onto something else and they've built a whole argument, a whole religion sometimes on, uh, on this sort of uh, um, this study, this wrongful study and really what they should have had was the Holy Ghost experience. And we find that uh, any of us who've been filled with the Holy Ghost, as most people here tonight would have been, we find that the moment we get that, uh, that faith given to us from the Lord, that immediately we start to understand Scriptures like we never have before, and uh, we come up against religious people, and we end up wiping the floor with them, really, as far as the Word of God is concerned. And, uh, and, and, and when, they're, when they're, they're setting themselves up to be uh, something knowledgeable, we, uh, um, we find that really their arguments are not based upon any experience but just upon the study that's been laid down by one person after another and uh, they might be able to quote some verses but they've never lived them. They've never seen it happen in their lives. And this is where uh, uh, they, they go about uh, setting up their own patterns, their own ways. And uh, many people, of course, have, uh, have made their own words to be equal to the Word of God. And so uh, we find the Mormons have got uh, the Book of Mormon and uh, it's equal with the Word of God in their mind. And the Catholics uh, have, uh, have their books which have been written by the church fathers and so on and the, their traditions and it's seen to be equal with the Word of God and uh, in many cases above the Word of God where uh, they, uh, they will present these things uh, instead of. And so their own study, they're putting it forward. You know, and the Bible says much study is a weariness of the flesh and, uh, and all the people said. And uh, yet we find that if we just uh, uh, quite simply take a hold of the Word of God, you know, uh, don't believe that the Bible is uh, suggesting to us that we have to uh, uh, quote endless scriptures to be able to, uh, to convince uh, people, but rather the experience of the Holy Ghost of uh, what happens in us. That's what it's about, is our faith. This uh, very real, uh, tangible thing that happens to us. And uh, perhaps we'll just turn across to another uh, passage in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, one verse here it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's some fairly key words in here. It says uh, it is impossible to please him without faith. And uh, this faith is a, it's a simplicity in our approach. 
It's a taking a hold of the, of the word of God and when we read it, that we believe what it says without questioning. That's, a, that's what simple faith is all about. If the word of God points out to us what needs to happen in our life, that we say, praise the Lord. I wanted to see that. I wanted to hear that. And, uh, and we just accept it and we act upon it. And of course, we can hear already, can't we, the, the many people today that would say, but why can't we question it? Why can't we uh, analyse uh, what Paul meant and whether he was a chauvinist or not and, uh, and uh, whether we should have uh, women priests or not and whether we should uh, baptise or sprinkle and uh, why can't we analyse it and look into it and all this sort of thing and immediately you see their unbelief just coming at you. They just don't want to accept it in simple faith and say, I'm the child, I'll sit here and learn and I'll let God teach me. And they want to uh, uh, bring themselves forward and uh, set themselves up as being experts of some sort and, uh, and this, uh, it's just getting in the way. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, and they will never please him this way. And it goes on and says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder. God is a rewarder. He loves to reward those who come to him in simple faith. He encourages that. When we come to him, he says, well done. And he rewards it so that we go back to do more of the same, because we've been rewarded. And it says, those that diligently seek him, and of course it's a, a real... Uh, thoroughness that we go into uh, to really know the Lord and not uh, half-hearted or hesitantly let's go back to Luke chapter 18 in verse 18 and a certain ruler asked him saying good master what shall I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus said unto him why callest thou me good none is good save one that is God thou knowest the commandments do not commit adultery do not kill do not steal do not bear false witness honour thy father and thy mother and he said all these have I kept from my youth up now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This man here, a rich man, uh, done uh, fairly well for himself but it also uh, uh, perhaps uh, lived a, a fairly good life as it would uh, turn out and yet for all of that there seemed to be something missing here that as the Lord was presenting to him the greatest thing that he could ever have he was uh, he was very he just couldn't seem to see it there was something uh, blocking his vision of what the Lord was uh, was offering and that's a faith there just uh, seemed to be lacking again because uh, he was so perhaps he was so busy making his own reward in his riches and the things that he was working for and gaining and building, up it, building it up around himself, that that's all he could see. That was his reward. There it was. And it was being laid on the line, he felt. But the Lord was trying to point him to a better reward if he would only come and seek the Lord. Come and have a look at this. But he couldn't see it. He said, I can't go that far. And so there was a, there was a blindness, I suppose, because of uh, the love of the things that he'd gathered around about him. And the Lord uh, uh, there is looking for a, for a greater vision of things that we would see, the things that really uh, are valuable. Let's go across to Matthew chapter 21 in verse uh, 18. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig uh, tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward, uh, henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the uh, disciples saw it, they marvelled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? 
And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do uh, this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. This is a fairly exciting story here, I suppose, of uh, what Jesus did. And um, I suppose that, you know, one of the, the greatest parts of the story there where, where Jesus says, if you have faith and doubt not. And he was here uh, uh, perhaps showing a real uh, one-eyed uh, approach when it came to, came to the things of God, that, uh, he, he, that we, can't, we can't be wavering. Like it says in the scriptures elsewhere, that we're, uh, we could be like a wave tossed to and fro and that uh, not sure whether uh, we want to jump or not, but rather to, uh, to just by faith, just go straight for what the Lord has promised us. And uh, it says quite clearly there about not to doubt. Maybe, maybe it should, uh, I feel sometimes when we read that, we should sort of say to ourselves, you know, if we're trying to uh, maybe have faith in something, that we say if we fa- have faith and doubt not and doubt not and doubt not and really tell ourselves that we doubt not because uh, it seems to be the one thing that maybe sometimes uh, really gets in the way as far as anything to do with God is our doubt. Now sometimes we just looked at a couple of uh, cases there in the beginning that uh, there are religious arguments and perhaps there are, there are worldly values that get in the way of people's uh, love for the Lord and uh, their vision of, uh, of things that are greater, that uh, other things can influence them. Not that we're suggesting they can't have anything in this world, but, uh, but that, uh, that their love for the Lord perhaps can be blurred. And, uh, and here the Lord's saying to, to really just go for it. And I suppose that maybe if we think of the sort of things that we're trying to receive from the Lord, maybe the very first thing is the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. And we know that uh, the Bible promises for anybody who uh, um, wants to know the Lord that he has an experience for us, that we will speak in tongues when we receive the Holy Spirit. And the only way people receive that is if they have faith and doubt not, and doubt not, and they've really got to just see it as the most valuable thing and put it foremost in their life. And that's the way they get it. And I suppose that after we come to know the Lord, that this is the way that our whole walk in the Lord needs to continue on. And we find that being natural people as we are, that sometimes there are things that seem to fade our determination in our faith from time to time because of the natural things that are around about us. And I believe that, I was just mentioning the other day, that sometimes when we are... Um, when we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe we've really got to see ourselves as the centre of God's universe. We've really got to see that he is, uh, he is wanting to, uh, to bless our life in every way. I'm not just talking about uh, whether we want a healing. I mean, uh, uh, that's, that's a great thing and uh, praise the Lord. But I think a lot of people perhaps uh, in the world maybe relate faith to healing as being sort of a separate item. But really faith in the Word of God is much more than just that. It's really seeing the picture of God in everything that we do. It's, uh, it's the commitment we make with the Lord and allowing it to continue that way that we see the picture as, uh, as the Lord first in our life. It's, uh, it's when we make a stand and the Lord, give me the faith to keep making this stand that I'm making. And maybe it's a bit difficult sometimes and we feel a, a little bit affected or a bit torn back the other way. Lord, let me see you all the time. Or if, uh, if uh, some words are said, some philosophy and it, and it maybe tries to drag us off. Some friend tries to drag us away from the things of the Lord. Lord, help me to continue to have that faith just towards you. And of course, uh, in our needs too, uh, um, if uh, you know, maybe uh, there's some job that we're praying for, some uh, natural need that we've got, maybe there's some, uh, some other particular thing that we've got, 
and uh, that we just sort of say, well, Lord, I just want to keep believing. I don't want to, you know, as we can do sometimes, maybe is to... Uh, to pray about something and uh, and then uh, afterwards not totally believe. Actually, that's a good example of that. We might just go across to uh, the book of Acts. Let's have to find this little story. Uh, chapter 12, and we find here at this particular time in verse 1, uh, it says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. So Peter was put in jail. And we find that uh, that uh, the angel of the Lord came and, uh, and actually opened the... Uh, uh, the gates there and allowed Peter to uh, to have this uh, this fantastic uh, uh, night there where he just sort of wandered past all the uh, sleeping guards or whatever and was just taken out and uh, and, and was free and uh, even himself didn't quite believe what was happening to him first off. Um, and uh, in verse 12, we'll just pick it up. Um, and when he had considered the thing, that's Peter, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathering together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, you know, we've got these people here praying for him. I think it says in verse 5 there, the prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Peter, who was in jail. And when he actually arrived, they couldn't believe it. And they weren't in some ways expecting it. I suppose that maybe we can do that sometimes. You know, we're praying away for something and we think, well, Lord, I've got difficulties in my marriage. And we go away and we pray about it. And then we go back to our marriage and we behave the way we did before. And we think, oh, I can't, nothing can be done about it. And we end up after our prayer in despair rather than sort of really believing that, well, we've prayed about it. And so the answer is going to be given. And the Lord is going to provide for us. And, uh, and so I'll walk by faith. I'll expect that these things will happen for me because uh, I'm one of God's chosen. Let's go over to uh, Acts chapter 2 and move right along. This, of course, is the day of Pentecost when the, when the faith was given to the first disciples. In Acts chapter 2 and in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this, of course, uh, you could go on and read the whole chapter here. It's an exciting chapter. This is where the church started. This is where uh, uh, the, the action really began. As far as the, 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 the Word of God going right out through the world, Jesus had uh, been crucified, he'd been raised from the dead, and uh, he'd gone uh, back to be with his father and he'd poured out the Holy Spirit upon the waiting disciples as they, they were here with one accord in faith, waiting and expecting, as we often sing. They were just, uh, uh, just expecting it to happen, a normal, natural thing. And uh, they, uh, they were not going to give up. And I think this is, a, this is a, a good thing in the Scriptures. It tells us to fight the good fight of faith. Don't give up. You know, sometimes in the natural things we, we're good at fighting. You see uh, uh, people uh, taking garments back to uh, back to shops sometimes, you know, and uh, there's no way they're going to give up. You know, they're, they're going to give this garment back and get their money back. And uh, I suppose we've all done it sometimes, and, and we are not going to give up. And we can do these things fairly well in the natural. And uh, really, it's it's the same way in the spiritual things. Is that uh, the Lord has promised, we expect. And uh, so uh, uh, he's saying it to, uh, as it was here on the day of Pentecost that that's really the way it uh, it ought to be. And if anybody's uh, new here tonight too. 
and we just encourage you to, uh, to just see these things. This is the Word of God. This is not uh, our book. We haven't written it. It's, uh, it's the Word of God. And it's, uh, it's been available uh, uh, for, for a lot of years now. It's been in print. And uh, many people would say, oh, which translation have you got? Well, uh, we've got the King James, as it turns out, and uh, we find it's a, a very good translation of the Bible. But uh, I'm sure I could show the salvation message in any interpretation of the Bible, no matter how much they try and change it. The message is basically there, but I like this one the best. And uh, it's, uh, it's just a very clear, simple message. If we'll just believe it for what it says and accept it, uh, and uh, unfortunately many people have uh, gone off reading so many other books that they've uh, forgotten to, uh, to read uh, the original one. Let's go across to 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17. It says here, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This is what happens when we come to the Lord. And this is uh, something, again, we see by our faith. And it's not just an imagination. I think uh, I'm, I'm sure that all of us, after we receive the Holy Ghost, we feel different. We, uh, we think differently. We act differently. In fact, uh, I've just uh, recently uh, had my, uh, my car painted and uh, um, it's sort of a, an older car for those who've seen it before and you may wonder why I got it painted uh, <coughs> because you thought it looked so good already but uh, I thought I'd do it anyway. Um, but uh, I've been driving around and being an older car and that you don't, get to, you don't expect people to sort of look at you very often and uh, now that it's sort of uh, brand new and it's looked after us for many years you see so uh, I thought we'd, uh, we'd sort of repay it and be nice to it and give it a nice new coat. So uh, I'm driving along feeling really sort of the proud owner of a brand new car, better than any of the latest, you see. And uh, I'm looking around, looking at people, thinking, they're looking at me, they're looking at this car. And then I'm thinking, no, they're looking at me, looking at them, wondering why I'm looking at them. <laughs> they're not looking at my car at all. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I suppose that, uh, that, you know, sometimes when we come to the Lord, first off, well, always really, we, we are changed, we are brand new. And uh, it's not just a coat of paint. We are changed on the inside. And uh, we feel different. Everything seems to look different. We seem to see the black and white in life again. It's not all hazy shades of grey like uh, the world would have us to believe. There's a, there's a right and there's a wrong. And we feel different. We feel on the right side. And it feels good. And all the people said. And we know our sins are washed away. We've been made clean. And we know we've got proof. It's not just because somebody said some nice things to us. We've got proof. We've had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it says here, we are a new creature. And so we begin to see things in our life uh, start to change. And the Lord uh, moulds us and he affects us uh, uh, in ways that perhaps we don't uh, expect. Maybe if we were rebellious to our boss before, we find that we are, we're able to start to, to love our masters, as the Bible says. And uh, uh, maybe if we uh, um, had some annoying habits that sort of uh, maybe we did things to sort of uh, just get attention and, uh, and uh, whatnot. And we find that maybe we can, uh, some, we can stop some of those annoying and odd habits that we might have used to do and uh, this sort of thing. Perhaps if we were, uh, um, were very proud people, we might find ourselves becoming humble in the things of the Lord. Maybe if we were too humble, we find ourselves being lifted up by the Lord and that uh, we, we're given courage and so on. Maybe if we had no discipline in our life, we can find ourselves becoming ordered and, uh, and, uh, and disciplined in the things that we're doing. Perhaps if, uh, on the other hand, we were, uh, we were so disciplined, we were uptight, we can learn to relax because the Holy Spirit is working in us and we've become a new creature. 
And, uh, and so these things uh, um, begin to, uh, to, to sort of change in us as we uh, walk in the Lord. And all this is done by faith. All these things happen as we just continue to say, well, it's the Lord that works in my life and uh, he's the one who's going to, uh, to continue uh, to, uh, to make things new. Let's go uh, uh, to another scripture, Second Kings and chapter 6. And in verse, um, start up in verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down, the enemy. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel, because the news was getting out of what they were planning to do, and he said, somebody's a traitor around here, and double agent. In verse 12, And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bed- bedchamber. The Lord knows what's going on, and he's, uh, he's informing the prophet there. In verse 13, And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. But it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. At which stage his servant probably looked at him twice and thought the fellow's getting a little bit old here. wonder what's going on because uh, there's this huge enemy in front of them and uh, there they stand, the two of them, and uh, the old fellow says, uh, we're bigger than they are. <clears throat> and uh, thought, what's he got up his sleeve? <clears throat> in verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. What a fantastic thing that must have been as he just saw that. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them up the garden path to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were come into Samaria that uh, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink, and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. This was the end of this huge enemy that had come against Israel. They'd lined up there. And uh, here was just a man of faith who said, we're not on our own in this. And his servant was there and he was concerned about it. And uh, Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what's really happening here. And maybe uh, for those of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, when there's times when when we find ourselves stuck in the middle of something, we feel the opposition and uh, for some reason or other, and uh, we start to think about it. In the natural, we try to work it, work it out about how we're going to get out of it. Maybe sometimes the Lord says to us, uh, uh-oh, you know, he's trying to work it out again or she's trying to work it out again. And, uh, and yet uh, we, uh, we, we come back to thinking, no, there's something greater here. We've got an answer to, uh, 
to this problem and uh, we, can, we can really see our way through. And we don't have to, uh, to, to revert to the natural. Sister was just mentioning the other day that uh, um, she'd, uh, she'd had a, uh, just, a, just a little thing, I suppose, but a, a headache that was bothering her. And she said, well, I can, I can, maybe I can lay down and sleep it off. And then she said, no, I'm going to pray about it. And she was healed when she prayed about it. And it's, I suppose it's easy for us sometimes to just uh, rely on the natural. And, uh, but the Lord is saying to us, lift up our heads, look up. And maybe if you're here for the first time tonight, that uh, the Lord is, uh, is really asking you too to look beyond just the natural things and look up. I don't mean up there, there's nothing to see up there, but just uh, in spiritual terms, that uh, um, close your eyes and give the Lord a chance to fill you with the Holy Spirit. His word can be trusted. And uh, there's a whole lot of people here tonight that have been filled with the Holy Ghost and many of them for many years and they found that the Lord works and they found it by experience. And we pray that uh, that's exactly what you'll do and all the people said. We'll leave it there.